Thank you for tuning in to Bible Storming Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, our aim is to help you be intentional in how you think about the Bible. It is more than just reading the words. It is about diving deep into the text. So let's study together. Here is your host, Daniel Webster. Hey, what's up, guys? Daniel here. Just want to let you know that what you're about to listen to is a conversation between myself and Dean Meadows on the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Now, as you know, we're in season two of the Bible Storming podcast, and once again, we're studying God. And so, part of studying God is showing that there actually is a God, right? So, super excited. This conversation was super fun to have. Dean was super nice, great guy. It's a fantastic conversation. But we're dividing it up into three separate episodes. So I just wanted to come on here now and let you know that in this first episode, we're going to talk about the first premise of the argument. In the second episode, we're going to dive super deep into the weeds. So fair warning, if if really deep into the weeds of philosophy is not necessarily your thing, you might want to skip to the next episode. But if you want to be intellectually challenged and just you know, try to think through stuff, that's a, that's a great episode. I personally had a ton of fun talking through it with Dean. And Then in the third episode, we'll talk again about the second premise and then also about the conclusion. So, super excited for this three-part series, and without further ado, let's start. What is up, Bible Stormers? Welcome back to the Bible Storming Podcast. It's been a minute. I know. I know it's been a minute, and that's on me. (laughs) I've been been super busy just uh, holding on to life right now, but we're back, and I have a special treat for you today. I'm here with the one, the only... Dean Meadows. Dean, introduce yourself, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, having me on your podcast. It's a great honor to to be on here and have a have a conversation with you. For those of your listeners who don't know me, my name is Dean Meadows. Uh, I am a uh, full time campus minister for the Blacksburg Church of Christ to the campus of Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. I also work uh, with the Daily Apologist, which is a social media uh, apologetics organization where we seek to provide apologetics material through social platforms like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But we also offer training uh, courses as well. Right now we have one up about the uh, existence of God and the resurrection. And then uh, if that's not enough, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm also um, the, apolo- the director of the apologetics uh, department at Harbinger Theological Seminary out of Nashville, which is an online um, seminary uh, that has been around for uh, one year. It's one year this year. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, and I am happily married to my wife, Hillary. I've got two kids, Nora Grace, who's five. Ren Mercy, who's three, and I've got uh, a son on the way in uh, hopefully within the next uh, two weeks. So uh, that's essentially who I am. I'm, I'm, and if that's not enough, I'm, I just started uh, my PhD program out of Birmingham, England, distance nice. learning uh, in the area of philosophy. And uh, I'm researching a, uh, a new type of argument for the Kalam cosmological argument. So uh, outside of that, I love to play golf and pretty much anything sports. Uh, Whenever I have the time, I like to game too to kind of just get away. Mm. And, um, you know, essentially I am just uh, 
pretty easy going and that's me so man we're so glad to have you on and i can i can say so we were talking before we hit record about the harbinger uh, theological seminary programs and they sound they sound great if you're a bible nerd theology nerd like me i would definitely recommend uh taking a look at those checking in and i can personally attest to the daily apologists existence of god and apologetics 101 program that was i went through that and it was fantastic i'm looking forward to the resurrection program um and just following along with the the content y'all are putting out over there at the daily apologist and i'll give you a chance um at the end of our conversation to kind of plug where people can go for that and and also any other content that you're putting out but you mentioned um that you're starting your your phd uh, program and it's on the Kalam cosmological argument. And that's what I have you on here today to talk about. So the Kalam cosmological argument is, is maybe the most popular argument for the existence of God. It's up there, at least. Right. And right. I'm curious. So as we, we kind of get to the meat, I want to ask you, and you know, you're, you're doing your doctorate work on this, so this might just be a super easy knock-it-out-of-the-park question, but is it your favorite form of cosmological arguments? Absolutely, absolutely, positively, okay. it, is, uh-huh. it is my favorite. It's not, it's my favorite argument uh, in general. Um, I, I would say the most effective argument is probably the moral argument because yeah. not everybody, um, you know, gazes into the stars and says, <laughs> well, how did the universe or what's, how did the universe uh, come into being? But right. uh, everybody bumps up into morality. Uh, daily. So Hopefully, my favorite yeah. is the Kalam. If I'm trying to be as uh, objective as possible, um, the moral argument is probably the most effective though. For so. me, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I normally think of like the moral argument as the most convincing argument for God. And then the cosmological and, and especially the Kalam uh, cosmological argument as the most powerful argument for God, especially for people who um, have really gotten into the weeds of this and thought through it. And, you know, some, I, th- I think there's a, there's a really good debate about whether or not um, there are objective morals if we don't assume the existence of God. So anyway, that's, that's, we, we had a few episodes last season talking with Caleb Colley about the morality argument. But today, I think this is the most powerful argument, in my opinion, for God's existence. And uh, you, ca- you probably have caught on by now, but there are several different versions of the cosmological argument for God's existence. And this is the most well-known, for sure, I would say, in, in today's world. And that's mainly, we got to plug, <laughs> we got to plug the man, uh, mainly due to the work of William Lane Craig, who is a philosopher and apologist for Christianity. He popularized this argument, and now Dean is devoting his life, <laughs> in, in large part, to studying it. So, Dean, if you will, just kind of walk us through the argument, introduce us to it. What's it about? Uh, what's, the, what's the idea behind it? That kind of thing. Right. So cosmological arguments um, essentially are, are a family of arguments that seek either um, to, to show a first cause or a uh, sufficient cause for the origin of the universe. The Kalam argument really it, it doesn't just start with William Lane Craig. It actually precedes William Lane Craig uh, by about 900 years. <laughs> Um, uh, during a, during the medieval period, uh, really it's due to the rise of, uh, Muslim philosophers, uh, most notably Al-Ghazali of the Kalam tradition. And so by the time you get to 1979, 78, 79, William Lane Craig, 
uh, takes Al-Ghazali's argument, he modifies it, he updates it, and he publishes it as his PhD uh, research out of Birmingham. Uh, there, there's Sounds definitely familiar. a reason why. Yeah, there's definitely a reason why I'm at Birmingham, um, <laughs> other than the, the distance part. But really, the reason that the argument is popular is because it's fairly simple in its structure. And in, in logic, it's what we call a deductive argument. You have your major premise, your minor premise, your conclusion. And if the argument is valid, if premise one and premise two are true, then premise three automatically follows whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, it, it follows. And so his argument is as follows per his um, doctoral work. Uh, premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. And premise three, therefore the universe has a cause. And so what Craig does is he establishes the first two uh, premises of the argument and then that concludes the third premise. And then what Craig does in his argument is he, he utilizes conceptual analysis, meaning as we look at the conclusion of the first cause or the conclusion of the argument that there is this cause, you know, what, what makes the most sense as to the, the attributes or the description of this cause? And so he goes and he, and he makes the case that it's timeless, spaceless, immaterial, powerful, and personal, which most people you know, use as a core definition yep. of Sounds God. Familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and so that just in a very small nutshell is um, Craig's argument. And it's easy to follow. It's easy to memorize. And as you said, it's, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, it's the most popular and or uh, most hotly debated uh, yeah. argument for the existence of God. Currently, both, um, I would say, in the popular culture, but also um, in academia as well. So just out of curiosity, as we start to dive into the first premise here, do you personally, and when you're, and I guess it probably depends on the person with whom you're talking and the audience and whatnot, but do you roll with Dr. Craig's first premise of the argument? Or I know a lot of people will kind of modify it to where it's not so broad of a claim, where it's a lot less ambitious of a claim, and just kind of center it on the universe instead of saying whatever begins to exist, and just say, the un if the universe began to exist, it had a cause. So which direction do you go right. with that, just out of curiosity? Well, I, I roll with, uh, with Craig on this one, um, because the first premise is rooted and grounded in what's cause what's called the causal principle mm. which is a metaphysical principle it's not a uh an, an law of nature like the law of gravity right uh, that describes something it's a it's uh beyond the law of nature it's the fundamental um nature of reality is what metaphysics deals with and so the causal principle essentially says um that something cannot come from nothing and so Craig's premise is whatever begins to exist has a cause. Well, that, that's rooted in the causal principle that whatever, uh, that something can't come from nothing. As Aristotle said, out of nothing, nothing comes. So right. I, I don't have a problem if somebody wants to center on the universe, but I really think that, that the first premise 
is more, uh, it, it is a testament to, not a testament to, but a description of the fundamental nature of reality. And I think uh, whether that's scientifically, I think that's been verified um, that that something doesn't come from nothing. And mm-hmm. I think in our own personal experience, we don't see things um, coming into existence uh, out of nothing, right? So I, I, I mean, roll with, uh, with Craig no. on that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, because, because let's, uh, let's examine that for a little bit. Say, yeah, give us, give us uh, some of the like evidence behind this premise. Like what, what obviously right. this one, especially this one can seem kind of just intuitive, but there are a lot of people who yeah, you know, and we, I we think, can't just accept our intuitions. So, right. I understand that we can't accept our intuitions, but I should only reject my intuitions if I have a really good, uh, defeater, right? I, and I don't, I don't mean to be too, too crass here, but um, I, I could be, you know, walking into the church building and I could see a, a seven-headed camel, you know, in the front pew, and I say, "Whoa, I'm seeing a seven-headed camel in the front pew." Um, but then, if I think about it, I was like, "Oh, well, you know, I, I was." Uh, exposed to a, a particular mixture of gases and and drugs just prior to to walking in a couple hours walking in so that would be a good defeater that if I'm if, if I've been exposed to hallucinogens <laughs> right well then I, I probably shouldn't you know trust my intuition that there's actually a seven-headed camel man uh, that's, in the, that's, in the that's some pretty pew, heavy right? stuff to get you to a seven-headed camel that's <laughs> right that's, that's right but <laughs> right but but my point being is um, that we should trust our intuitions unless we have a really good defeater uh, for not trusting them like the scenario that I just uh, laid out. So I think uh, we, we shouldn't, uh, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, but but oftentimes what will happen as we engage with with skeptics about this particular argument is the skeptics will say, well, you're grounding this in a metaphysical principle or you're grounding this in your intuitions. And well, our intuitions can betray us, but more often than not, our perceptions and our intuitions actually give us truth, right? Actually uh, tell it like, for instance, you know, uh, our intuitions and our perceptions um, provide for us what's actually taking place more often um, than not. So I, I'm, I'm with Craig on that, 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 um, unless there's a really good defeater for not trusting my intuitions, I, I should probably trust that. And the fact that things don't come into being out of nothing in my everyday experience, um, you know, leads me to believe that things don't come into nothing, come into being from nothing, uh, given my everyday experience. And, and furthermore, um, there's, there's scientific, um, verification, uh, you know, of this principle. Every time that we see or we examine what takes place um, in nature, um, the scientific uh, research that has been done with regards to um, cosmology, even if you take it on the secular side of the house, um, there are efficient causes that produce um you know, other entities, other items in the universe that, you know, it's, it, they, they don't come from nothing. So now let me, let me so, yeah. jump in here. And if you will, for yeah, our audience, ahead. define what an efficient cause is. 
I feel like that's a phrase right, so a lot of people won't be familiar with. Right, right, no doubt. So um, Aristotle mentions an efficient cause is that which um, is responsible for um, something coming into being. So um, when we look when we look at that, maybe maybe a better definition of it would be agent um, causation. Um, you know, it's, it's something that uh, an efficient cause is something that consists of things apart from the thing being changed. And I know that, that, that may not help, may not, (laughs) may not help us, you know, in that, but, you know, according to Aristotle, um, uh, the material cause of a being would be its physical properties or makeup. The efficient cause is the the thing or the agent which actually brings it about. So, for instance, um, the material cause of the statue of David is marble, right? Well, uh, the efficient cause is the artiste. I believe it was Michelangelo, but you can check me on that. I think that's right, yeah. Uh, I mean, this Michelangelo is not would be, my level of expertise, but yeah, <laughs> right. Michelangelo, Michelangelo would be the efficient cause. He's the one that took the material and carved out the statue of David. So the material cause is what is the stuff made of the, or the, excuse me, the, yeah, the, the material cause is what is this stuff made of the efficient cause is what actually brought this into being who carved this out? Well, that would be Michelangelo. So the question for us with regards to like the universe is, is the, is the universe just a product of a material cause, right? Is it just a a sequence of material actions that have brought about the universe? Or is there this efficient cause, um, that goes beyond, uh, the material, uh, to maybe a, a personal agent. So I hope that clarifies it and, and doesn't convolute the, (laughs) <laughs> the first premise. So. No, I think that's great. Yeah. So basically the argument for the first premise that whatever begins to exist has a cause is that we, our intuition says that that's true because in our everyday and, and really any day, like throughout our entire lives, none of us have ever experienced something that has come into being from nothing. We, there's always a cause, an efficient cause behind that effect, right? So this, this is what, so that's what that argument or that, that's what this argument is about really is cause and effect. Am I putting that Nice and simple and correct. Well, I, I, I think you've got the, the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, there certainly are things in in our experience which are materially caused, right? So, um, for instance, uh, I'm not, you know, throwing a lever that causes lightning, right? So that would be a material, that would be a material sick, cause. That would be pretty sick. <laughs> I, I don't know if that I want to have that power, so... Um, <laughs> But what I'm, but, but I think me. you've, I mean, I'll take right, right. But I think you've, I think you've nailed down essentially the the basic principles of, uh, of the first premise, um, or the support for the first premise. Our daily intuitions, experiences, and our uh, scientific, uh, I mean, it's uh, scientific verification that things don't come into being from nothing. Um, there's always uh, something that comes from nothing, whether that's a material cause, an efficient cause, um, you know, that's, that, that is, you know, really what, what we have to, to grapple with there. And, and the more importantly, what we're asking is, is the universe just the product of 
material causes or is there an efficient cause beyond the material that has brought about uh, the origin of the universe? And I guess one thing that I would that I would ask is what we need to ask our our friends who are skeptics um, would be um, if it's true that something can't come from nothing, then why is it only uh, universes that come from nothing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, why in our everyday experience we don't see things coming into existence out of nothing? But then we're going to make this one exception for the universe. Why, no, why like is as, the biggest as doctor, conceivable thing? <laughs> right. As as Dr. Craig says, why is nothingness so discriminatory that only universes come uh, into being from nothing? And if that's the case, you know, if the universe can come into being from nothing, then why can't uh, anything or everything come into being from nothing? Like, why, why do I have to go out and pay for a brand new Xbox? Why can't that just materialize out of nothing uh into my living room or man that's or, uh, i'm with you go ahead <laughs> no i was just gonna yeah, say amen or, <laughs> or, or like my like my bank account why can't i just have you know a million dollars show up in my um my, my statement out of nothing without having to to even work towards you know amassing that that much money right Man, so, with my bank account like there can't be a material cause because there's like there's nothing in it to cause it so. <laughs> <laughs> right right um so yeah i think that would be a good i think what you've done is you've given a good nuts and bolts description of the first call, uh, first first premise for sure thank you for listening to this podcast from the scattered abroad network if you would like to email us you can do so at the scattered abroad network at gmail.com that's the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.